This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about credit counseling programs and how they compare to personal bankruptcy. Uh, Comparing the basics of both credit counseling and bankruptcy. And we're also going to learn about consumer proposals in this segment. And and Blair is going to explain the key differences between credit counseling debt repayment plans and debt forgiveness through personal bankruptcy. And then we're going to look at the beloved consumer proposal (laughs) that Blair will tell you is, is just the best thing since sliced bread for folks. And uh, I know, Blair, that you you often talk about when we do this show, um, the number of people each month or each mm-hmm. year and how it grows that people are using consumer proposals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually over 90% of the clients that come to see us um, aren't filing for bankruptcy. They're choosing to file a consumer proposal. And I've been a trustee for 15 years. It used to be 70, even 80% of people were choosing bankruptcy back then. So it's definitely a a huge swing. And especially it's accelerated in the last three to four years to the point where clients, if they can at all afford to do a consumer proposal, and most of the time people can, that's the option that they're choosing. So it's a very great and popular option. That's amazing. Hey, that the popularity of it now. Mm-hmm. And, and I would think in the long run, it's a, it's a huge cost saver to the, to our system, uh, with people using a consumer proposal versus going through a bankruptcy situation. Oh, absolutely. It's giving the creditors back a reasonable recovery on their debt instead of having to write it off. And it's allowing the person to avoid that bankruptcy, which I see a lot of folks that, you know, if they knew about a proposal 20 or 30 years ago, they told me they would never have went bankrupt for the amount of debt that they had. So there's a lot of people that you know are very happy that they could avoid a more severe remedy. That's really great. Boy, oh boy. Okay. So that's a consumer proposal. We're going to talk about more of that, more about a consumer proposal in this segment. But first, Blair, can you explain what credit counseling is and what it means to file for bankruptcy in British Columbia? Yeah, so with credit counseling, there's a number of different types of models that essentially serve as a means for you to combine your eligible debts into what we call an informal repayment plan. So the way that credit counseling typically works is a credit counselor will help you put together an offer for a monthly repayment plan to your eligible creditors and will approach them on your behalf. They usually try to negotiate a reduction or elimination of future interest charges as part of the plan, uh, but that's generally the best that they can do. There's no reduction in the amount of money that you already owe. It's just stopping the interest going forward. Um, Creditors can choose to accept or reject the plan. And in general, creditors will only work with credit counselors for basic debts like a credit card, a line of credit, or an unsecured loan. And any creditor who just says, hey, I'm not going to be part of this plan, they have the right to opt out at any point um, and require that you pay them separately or even take legal action against you. Uh, When you do your debt repayment through a credit counselor, you can expect, as we mentioned, to pay back 100% of the debt that you owe. You may save on the interest, but you've also got to take into account there will be various fees to the credit counselor. Even not-for-profit credit counselors do charge fees for service. 
Uh, comparing to personal bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy is a federally legislated legal process, allows you to have all of your debts forgiven and written off. And it's not by negotiation. It's everybody's legal right that if they find themselves with more debt that they can handle, they're able to get the protection of filing for bankruptcy. You don't need permission from your creditors or the court to declare bankruptcy. And it's one of only two legal debt remedies, the other being a consumer proposal, that can cover virtually all types of debt, including all the general consumer debts, as well as government debts like CERB overpayments, tax debts, student loans, even ICBC debt. So it's an all-inclusive, all-encompassing type of debt restructuring tool. Um, the third option, so after credit counseling, personal bankruptcy, as we've mentioned a little bit about a consumer proposal, where a consumer proposal might sound a bit similar to credit counseling in that it is a consolidation of putting all of your debts together. It is a freezing of all future interest, but the biggest massive difference that I hope people really clearly understand is a consumer proposal can actually reduce the principal on your debt. Oftentimes, it can reduce it by 50, even up to 80% of the debt, as well as saving you all the interest charges. So a big difference between what you'd be asked to pay back in a proposal compared to what you might be asked to pay back in a credit counseling plan with the proposal being more advantageous in just about every situation I've ever seen. And of course, in order to facilitate uh, a bankruptcy, a consumer proposal, uh, you need to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee and Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia and uh, they're so accessible and I'm going to give you their phone number if you already know that this is the step and the action that you want to take. It's 1-800-661-3030. So Blair, what are some of the important details and differences to know about these debt options? Because they are very different and they do impact I mean some have a longer impact I would think than than the others Mm -hmm. Well, with the credit counseling program, it's again informal, meaning that there's no legal protection, no legal enforcement, uh, and no legal standing. In a credit counseling program, your creditors can continue to contact you, uh, even pursue collection actions against you, and they could opt out at any time if they no longer like the deal that you're offering them in the proposal. Now, normally, once a creditor has agreed to a, a credit counseling plan, uh, they'll usually refrain from contacting you. Um, usually, they'll stop charging interest, but again, there's no no guarantee. It's just all by negotiation. And the credit counselor has no ability to legally protect you to stop any court actions or to stop a wage seizure. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, any creditors that just say, hey, I'm not going to deal with this credit counselor, there's nothing that can be done against that. The creditor has the right to pursue you for payment, to take legal action, to harass you, all of those things. So a credit counseling plan may not solve your entire debt problem, it may only solve a portion of it. Uh, when you're dealing with a trustee to do either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, everything is legally sanctioned. So by law, as soon as you sign either a bankruptcy or a proposal, your creditors have to stop contacting you. No negotiation, full stop. They have to just back off completely. And this extends to virtually all debts, including Canada Revenue Agency, and can even stop a wage garnishment. Uh, the law also serves to protect your assets as well as your income from your creditors. So most people think that if you file for bankruptcy, you lose everything. Well, uh, one of the, that's a huge myth in that most people who file for bankruptcy actually have better protection from their ass for their assets because they no longer can be taken to court. Their wages can't be seized. And in just about every province in Canada, and certainly in BC, there are very generous exemptions, which say if someone files for bankruptcy, they're allowed to keep a basically a standard level of assets that usually encompass just about everything somebody would have, including their furniture, their clothing, even a vehicle, RSPs, home equity, you know, everything like that. 
Um, in terms of cost, uh, a big difference in between a consumer proposal and a credit counseling plan um, is just the amount of the debt that you're being asked to pay back. So again, in a credit counseling plan, you need to repay all of the debt plus the credit counselor fees on top of that. Uh, when it comes to a consumer proposal, you're typically repaying just a portion of the debt, what you can afford, and all of the fees are included into that balance. So you're not paying anything extra beyond what you can afford. Now, in terms of the ultimate lowest cost, uh, personal bankruptcy is typically going to be a cheaper and quicker option than either filing a consumer proposal or working with a credit counselor. But again, there might be a whole lot of other factors why someone would be okay to pay back a little bit more than a bankruptcy to get to avoid that whole legal proceeding altogether. Okay. And is somebody's credit history impacted by these different options? Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. And the what guidance I give to clients is anytime you don't pay your debt back in full, including all the interest charges, your credit is going to take a hit. So even by doing a consumer proposal, and this is a huge surprise to a lot of people, even by doing a consumer proposal where you're paying all the debt back in full, you're just getting a break on that future interest, uh, your debts are going to show that you've actually restructured your debts. It's going to be a negative mark on your credit. And a debt management plan from a credit counseling plan, that's going to be on there for two years following its completion. Now, when you file a consumer proposal, you get a significant discount on the debt, but it actually reports the same as a credit counseling plan. So when I sit down with someone, I say, okay, the credit rating impact on a proposal, it's either six years from the day that you sign it or two years from when it's paid off, which is you know relatively similar to a credit counseling plan, which is two years from when it's paid off. But the big difference is the amount of debt that you're paying back. If you owed $30,000 of debt and you did a credit counseling plan, you'd be paying back that $30,000 plus fees. Um, and you'd have a similar credit rating impact to as if you did a consumer proposal, maybe paid back a third of that debt. So, you know, maybe something around $10,000, um, your budget would be much better off and the credit rating impact is not significantly different. Um, somebody filing a bankruptcy, it is more of a severe credit rating impact than if you're doing a repayment plan, like a credit counseling plan or a consumer proposal, but it's not life ending. It's the case that a bankruptcy is going to drop off your credit six years after it's finished. Most bankruptcies finish in nine months, so it's six years after then is when it's gone. But most people can rebuild their credit, restructure things such that even two years after a bankruptcy, two to three years, they're getting offers of credit, they can finance vehicles, people even can get a mortgage, even though a bankruptcy is listed on their credit report and hasn't fallen off yet. So just don't assume that a bankruptcy is a life sentence. Uh, it can be what you need to restart and you can rebuild the credit pretty quickly thereafter. And I, I know that we talk about this on the show every week, but there's such a difference between dealing or, or working with a licensed insolvency trustee and working with a credit counselor. I mean, you've talked about so many differences already in this segment, but mm -hmm. it's, it's so important, I think, to um, emphasize the, the value of working with a licensed insolvency trustee on this. Yeah, so every licensed insolvency trustee will offer you a free consultation. So we come up with a plan to help manage your debts. But you've got to be careful if you're getting a free consultation from someone that's not a licensed insolvency trustee, because there really is a significant gap in regulations and consumer protection. Uh, a licensed insolvency trustee, federally regulated, overseen by Industry Canada, clear dispute mechanisms, complaint mechanisms, everything like that. Uh, if you're dealing with a credit counselor, there is no government authority that regulates credit counselors as a profession. 
titles like credit counselor, debt advisor, debt consultants. These are not regulated professionals, and anybody can use these names to sell advice and services. Um, sometimes people say, credit counselors say, well, we're certified by an accreditation body. But it's often a self-accreditation. It's just a bunch of credit counselors got together and said, okay, we're going to start an industry body. But it's nothing that, that has the robustness of an independent organization or a government organization. And what people should be aware too, and I'd love to, for this to be the last point that we focus on, Elaine, is that many credit counseling agencies are heavily bank funded and some are even registered as collection agencies. So some might promote their options over other options that you would have because that's the only way that they make money. There's a percentage of debt they recover from your settlement. And the government released a great paper just in the last couple of weeks here. I just want to quote from it. They say, it's worth noting that the profit orientation of an organization, whether for profit or not for profit, does not dictate the quality or ethicality of its business practices or behaviors. Nonprofit organizations are different from charitable organizations, which operate under a distinct set of regulations and objectives. So there are no charitable credit counselors in BC. There are not for profits. Um, the only credit counselor that was a charity actually had their registration annulled quite recently because it should just never have been granted. So please be aware if you're dealing with a credit counselor, you are not dealing with a charity and the fact that it is a not-for-profit should not give you comfort that it is going to be the best option for you. Boy, we're going to talk about the CERB repayment program. Uh, and this is a word that Blair to be honest, we had no idea that this was a word <laughs> <laughs> up until a couple of years ago, right? I mean, you never heard times. of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the before times, that's right. Pre-pandemic. So, mm. um, and the story is that people, more and more people are getting uh, notices that they have to repay their CERB payments um, that were, that that they got during the pandemic when they lost work or lost their jobs. And, uh, and this, and this segment is specifically for folks who have gotten one of those notices that says you have to repay some or all of your SER benefit. And, uh, Blair, I know that you're finding people that it's a real challenge because people either one, they don't have that money, mm -hmm. uh, or, or they can't afford to do so now. And, uh, I, I love the idea that, you know, you're not alone because we know it's a it's a huge issue for a enormous number of people throughout this country. Mm -hmm, for sure. So, Blair, what are why are why are the, those Canadians being asked to repay um, the benefits? What what put them in this situation? They obviously needed the money and got approved for the money originally, and now uh, the. Uh, the program has come back and said, oh, no, actually, we, we need some of this money back. How, yeah, so talk, how is talk that? About, how did that come about? Talk about a stressful situation, right? You know, you're, you're sitting there, you might have other challenges, and then suddenly get a letter from the government, your hands probably shake as you open the envelope anyway, and they're saying, hey, this money that we gave you during one of the toughest times any of us have ever been through, yeah, we want all that back. <laughs> and, and, you know, in, in some cases, um, you know, maybe they're going to add interest and penalties in the future. Not yet, but your, your mind goes there. So what is this CERB thing that we're talking about? Well, the CERB was a government measure. It was aimed at providing financial support for Canadian workers who are impacted by the COVID-19 
COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, hard to believe we're going back a number of years now, but the basic uh, of, the, of the taxable emergency benefit were that eligible people could receive $2,000 for every four-week period. And as the pandemic went on, the assistance options changed and people could be eligible for recovery benefits. There was a Canada recovery benefit. There was others through EI. But whether it was multiple payments or maybe some mistakes in applications, there are a few reasons why people are being expected to or might have already been called on to repay their CERB benefits. And it could be that you applied for CERB and it was later determined that you weren't eligible. So in some cases, the rules weren't as clear uh, at the moment as, as they are now. Uh, for some people, they didn't meet the $5,000 income eligibility requirement. And there was a big controversy about self-employed people, whether this was gross or net. And some people just made assumptions and unfortunately you were found to not be eligible. Uh, maybe you earned more income than you anticipated when you received CERB. So you resumed your employment earlier. Maybe you received some retroactive pay from your employer. And then in some cases, people actually received double payments. They applied through both EI and Service Canada for the same eligibility period. At that point, there was no tying together of the databases. So if you tried to claim under both, you probably got approved under both. Um, so it can feel pretty overwhelming that, hey, this money that you received so, so many years ago, that they're asking for it back now, because if we think about the substance of the money, well, CERB was intended to give you a short-term replacement of income to cover immediate living expenses. So it's not a surprise that just about everybody that we speak to, they spent these funds in the month they were received to just keep things going, to keep the lights on, to keep the groceries purchased. So people don't have this money sitting around. And then we also know that regular costs of living have escalated in the last number of years. You might be already dealing with some other debt. And then to get this notice from a government branch, that can sometimes be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Excellent. And I remember, um, I remember at the time hearing stories of folks that they, yeah, they got the CERB payment, they were getting UI, if they were making more money with mm -hmm. um, the various uh, assistance programs than they were at the job that they basically walked away from because, you know, they were doing, they, they were being paid more to stay at home than they were to be at work. And, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a nightmare down the road uh, for a lot of people. And that's, and that's exactly what's happened. That's what's happening now and will continue to happen, I guess, for a while yet. I mean, is, is this an ongoing thing? I mean, here we are 2023. Mm -hmm. It's going to continue, right? They're going to continue to find people and ask for monies back. Oh, exactly. That, that's what we're seeing now. And I, I don't expect it's going to stop. I think it's just, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg here. So CRA is, is basically the government agency that's now tasked to collect on all of these overpayments, all of these debts, whether it was from CRA or EI. Uh, what CRA has stated is that if you receive benefits that you weren't entitled to, you'll be sent a notice of redetermination. If you can't pay the overpayment debt in full now, CRA will allow you to make payment arrangements to make payments over time until the debt is paid in full and charitably of them for now, but I don't expect this to last forever, is that no interest or penalty will be applied on your COVID-19 benefit overpayment debts. And in some cases of undue hardship, you might be able to postpone paying this debt until your financial situation improves. So it doesn't go away, but CRA might be willing to take a bit of a backseat if you're in a really tough spot. Now, starting in 2022, uh, if you have a balance owing to CRA for you know anything, but especially these emergency benefits, CRA may keep your future payments. They may see your tax refunds. They may take your GST credits, all or a portion of them until the debt is repaid. 
And what's a big impact to some people is if you're receiving EI benefits, um, the CERB will be recovered at 50% of that EI benefit rate. So if you're entitled to roughly 2000 per month, but you owe the government money, well, you're only going to get 1000 per month until that government debt is paid off. So I find that to obviously be, be very striking. Um, of course, if you're able to pay the balance in full, your, your best bet is just to do so. You can connect directly with CRA and make some arrangements. Uh, CRA is encouraging people not to ignore these debts. And we totally agree. Ignoring any unpaid balance, especially when it comes to CRA, is something that you definitely want to avoid because there are some steps that can be taken against you if you don't pay. Yeah. Uh, and if you're already in this situation and you quite frankly don't know what next steps to take, uh, sitting down with somebody from Sands and Associates and getting a clear idea of what you're, what you could take in terms of action or where you are and what, and what kind of support you need in order to sort of weather this is a perfect opportunity. 1-800-661-3030. That's the phone number. And Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. So what actions, you sort of talked about it a little bit already, Blair, what actions can the government take against a person if they don't pay at this point? Mm -hmm. Well, the government is the last person that you want to owe money to. We often say this um, on the program here because they've got more tools at their disposal and they can activate those tools quicker than any other creditor. So at present, I'd say they're taking what they call a softer approach to collecting on CERB repayments. Um, they're often more forceful on things like income tax or business GST, but I would expect that to change over time as these debts get a little older and CRA gets a little less patient. So what CRA can do um, is they they can take some what we would call extreme actions, so things like a wage garnishment. So what that means is CRA can issue a notice directly to your employer. It's called a, a requirement to pay, and it's typically up to 30% of your net pay. It can be on various types of income, not just employment income. And where we often say on this show, you know, if you're going to have your wages seized, you're going to see that coming a mile away because they have to go to court first, serve you with documents. All that's out the window when it's the government. They can just go directly to your employer and issue a wage garnishment to require to pay. Uh, we talked about them seizing your future income tax refunds or benefits. Um, they can also issue a requirement to pay on a bank account. And usually that's for 100% of what's in that bank account. So CRA has more information sources than I could ever imagine. Um, they know how much is in a bank account at any given time. And they can issue uh, a directive that, hey, that money is either frozen or sent directly to CRA if you're delinquent with, the, with them on amounts owing. And then they can also, if you have assets, uh, most typically a house, but could also be a vehicle or some other asset of value, uh, CRA can place a lien on those assets. And if it's a house, you know, that's just like another mortgage. So if you try to go and refinance the mortgage, it's probably the case CRA would have to get paid out at that time. And in extreme cases, CRA could even apply to court uh, and seek an order to have the house sold. Well, that's, that's pretty um, unusual. It's usually the case CRA will just sit there and wait, knowing they've got a charge on the home and they will eventually get paid uh, when the home sells. Uh, trying to avoid dealing with CRA just by not filing your taxes for year after year is not an advisable strategy. Uh, usually what CRA will do is they'll eventually just run out of patience and issue what's called an arbitrary assessment. Well, they'll just pick a number out of the sky, you know, maybe based on your banking records or not. And then it's your job to disprove that number. And it's usually a pretty high number. So it's always in your best interest to be proactive, uh, to file your returns with CRA, and also to see a license and solve 
insolvency trustee as soon as possible. If you know there's a government balance here that I'm not going to be able to pay off, you want to head off all of these activities before they start. And when you work with a trustee, you can basically put a pause on anything new starting against you on behalf of CRA. Okay, so what kinds of things would, would you um, counsel somebody uh, to do and, and action for them to take when it comes to repaying that CERB or, or you're not unable to at, this, at, at any given point? Well, when you're dealing with government debt, um, the number of people that can actually assist you in restructuring that debt is a very short list. It's essentially one person. It's a licensed insolvency trustee. You know, I, I suppose you could hire a tax lawyer to dispute things if you really had a lot of money and thought it was an error, but that's pretty rare. In general, working with a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be the best ally to help you get back on top of things and to, to put some structure to what you can afford to repay on the debt rather than being at CRA's whims. So a couple options that people have. Um, option one is to file a consumer proposal. What a consumer proposal is, it's a debt relief option that allows you to consolidate all of your debts and make an agreement with your creditors to settle your debts in full by repaying what's affordable to you. After you repay the portion of the debt that they've agreed to, your creditors will consider the unpaid balance legally forgiven. Does this work with CRA? Yes, almost every time. I say almost because there's occasionally cases where CRA won't accept a proposal, but in just about every case that we deal with, CRA is open to accepting a proposal, and a proposal is so powerful because it can consolidate virtually all types of debt, so just about everything, including government and non-government debt, and it can reduce it often by up to 50 to even 80% of debt or more. You can only do a consumer proposal by working directly with a licensed insolvency trustee, and it doesn't cost you anything to explore the situation uh, even to get a proposal prepared you don't pay anything it's only once you've started to, you've signed the proposal you just start making your monthly payments there's nothing extra above and beyond that you're asked to pay uh, in terms of fees to a trustee so proposal is a great option now if it's a case that you know you can't even afford to pay a reduced balance back on this debt maybe the income is so low or the debt is so high that even paying off 20 cents in the dollar just wouldn't be possible well that's when the very private straightforward remedy of of a personal bankruptcy, that can be a good option. When you sit down with the trustee, the trustee will explore all of these options with you, take the time to answer all of your questions in great detail and help you move forward on what you choose to do to restructure the debt and get back in control. This segment's all about credit cards, using credit cards, the do's and don'ts, and dealing with debt as a result. And, uh, Boy, Blair's often uh, talked about so many good tips for folks using credit cards, best practices for managing your account balances, and where you can seekly, safely seek advice and resources if your credit card is becoming a problem. And Blair, I know you've talked about this before, but but credit cards are a problem for folks, and it seems to be a growing issue. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. We survey our client base every year and without fail, credit cards are the number one type of debt that people identify as this was the real problem, the thing that drove me to getting help. And they're number one with a bullet, so to speak, because it's five times the incidence of the next highest um, type of debt. So credit cards for sure are the number one driver of people having financial difficulties.
And it's also interesting to note, and, and this sort of flies in the face of what I've always thought, is that not all credit cards are the same. Like doing a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of research, there are differences between the various cards, which in the long run uh, can save you can save you money. And so let's talk about that. Uh, the the tips tips for somebody who wants to get a new credit card or get a credit card period what what kinds of things would you get them to think about and look at well i think that the best goal when you're looking at financial products is you really want to aim to be a savvy and well-informed consumer so you want to do your research not just you know take the first card that you see or the first one that your bank offers to you you want to take some time to compare look at what's on offer and find the card that best fits your needs um, some key items to check are what are the fees are there annual fees sometimes monthly fees or, or otherwise um, are there transaction and atm fees as well as foreign exchange fees you sometimes find big differences if you know you're going to be going to the states to do some shopping some cards have very expensive foreign exchange rates um, some actually are very competitive and will give you a much better a better result and that can save you real money every time you shop across the border uh, some cards have rewards and bonuses um, and of course interest rates um, you obviously want to get a card with the most reasonable interest rate possible but also be careful that you're not um, drawn in by what can be just an introductory interest rate and you end up with a card that's actually quite expensive uh, the financial consumer agency of Canada has a great online credit card comparison tool and allows you to compare the features of some of the different cards that are available. You can access that on Canada.ca. Um, a couple of things to consider is even the type of credit card that you get. So there's your typical, what we call an unsecured credit card, which is what most people would, would assume you right away, you get a credit card sent to you and you haven't given any deposit, but there are certain cards where you actually do put a deposit down. Uh, one is a prepaid card. This is sometimes called a reloadable or a pay as you go card. You can often purchase that at standard retail outlets, like a grocery store or a pharmacy. You load the card up with your own money. You spend it until the money runs out. Um, the upside of this card is it's convenient but the downside is there's actually no tie to the individual's credit rating or credit report so using a prepaid card good for convenience but actually does nothing to help you build a, a solid credit history so typically we tend to recommend against prepaid cards because sometimes the fees can be significant and without getting that benefit of building your credit you know you might be able to get better alternatives out there uh, if you are in a situation where you do want to put a card with a deposit, um, a secured credit card is typically a better option. Um, a secured credit card works very similar to a standard credit card, but the difference is you've already put a deposit down with the lender, and usually, but not always, usually your credit limit is a little less than that deposit, so that if you don't pay, um, they can take the deposit and there's no loss to the, the creditor. So typically the best secured credit cards will report monthly to the credit bureaus, they will help you rebuild credit, and the best ones have no annual fees either. So make sure you consider what type of card do you need, unsecured, prepaid, or secured, uh, and make sure you're getting as competitive as you can in terms of the attributes, interest rates, fees, um, all of those things. If you want to sit down with somebody and talk more about how to best use a credit card, or if you're in credit card debt and you need some help with that, 1-800-661-3030 is the number for Sands & Associates. Again, offices all over British Columbia uh, where somebody can sit down with you and, and help you figure out your next steps. Blair, are there some best practices for using a credit card? 
Oh, certainly. Um, as we said, you know, credit cards are the most prevalent type of debt that we see. And there's you know, some benefits to using a credit card. It can be very convenient. But a few of the best practices to keep in mind, one simple one is don't use the credit card if you don't have the cash to pay off the transaction. So where people get into trouble is not when they're using a credit card for you know, convenient transactions and they come home and they pay the balance that same day or that same week, uh, or certainly the paid in full on the statement date. That doesn't create an issue because you have the cash there to pay off the balance. But if you know that you're making a purchase on a credit card that you don't have the cash to cover, that's when credit card debt can take on a life of its own because at 20 or even 30% interest, you know, that balance is just going to start to get away from you. It's going to double on its own every couple of years if you do nothing. So try to make sure you have cash to pay the purchases as you make them. Uh, you want to use cash for transactions that are cash-like. And what I mean by that is there are certain transactions on a credit card where you don't have any interest-free grade period and you might actually even be charged a fee just to make the transactions so these are things like cash advances and credit card checks uh, wire transfers and money orders even lottery tickets or gaming transactions you're going to be charged interest from the date of these cash-like transactions um, and in some cases there's even a higher interest rate charge for these transactions so if that's the case you want to look at the fine print um, and see but in general you try to avoid cash advances or cash-like transactions uh, because it's just generally not a good um, set of fees and regulations that are around that on a credit card. Um, I think that the last really important one is to just be aware and proactive. So keep, tab keep tabs in your account balances, your purchases, your payments. Um, understand if you're going to be incurring any additional fees. So sometimes people see fees on their credit cards, they don't recognize them, and they were just opted in without their knowledge. So make sure you're alive to things like balance protection insurance, uh, being charged every time you take a cash advance, uh, even over limit fees. They might approve a transaction that puts you over your credit limit and then add an extra fee on top of it because they let you exceed your credit limit. So you want to treat all of your accounts as important. You don't want to skip any payments and just make sure that you're on top of all of your obligations. I, I know you've got a few more tips too when it comes to managing your credit card debt that are just really good reminders for folks. Yeah, I think these are some, some very good things. If you take nothing else away, one thing I encourage people to understand is that paying just the minimum payment on your credit cards is a big indication that you've got a financial problem that you're not going to be able to solve on your own. So the best practice is to always pay more than your minimum monthly payment. If you're not able to pay more than the minimum monthly payment, you are not getting ahead on this debt. Uh, an 18% interest rate credit card, which is pretty reasonable these days, the balance of $5,000 could result result in almost that same amount in interest, $4,800 of interest, and could take you almost a generation to pay off 18 years and 10 months if you're only making the minimum payments. And most people who would be carrying $5,000 wouldn't say, well, that's a 20-year problem I'm carrying around here, but it actually is if you're only making the minimum monthly payments. Um, I think the last tip I, I would give to people is just to really be honest with yourself. So really get, take stock, uh, understand how are you feeling? Are you feeling concerned about your debt and your overall finances? Uh, is debt taking up a lot of your time and your emotional capacity? Um, if you really feel like you have a debt problem, it's a big indication that perhaps that you do. And, and sometimes people will really, really even feel better just by taking a break from credit. Sometimes just stopping to use the credit, rolling with cash for a period of time, um, really making sure that you can live your household budget without having to rely on credit each month. Sometimes that just becomes more clear when you put the cards away for a month and just start paying in cash. You start to see, well, are there big gaps in this budget that we just can't fill? 
And if you know that you, you need more than, than just to take a break or reevaluate, but sit down with somebody from Sands and Associates and take those real first steps to manage this credit card debt or debt in general, uh, it's just such a good idea even just to sit down and say, okay, this is my situation. What should I do? 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number to use. Again, offices all over British Columbia, and uh, they will. you can go into an office and sit down with someone. You can do it online, on Zoom, however they set it up. There's just so many good options for you to get that very important uh, information to get you on a better, better foundation when it comes to your debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This segment's all about how much personal debt is too much. We're going to, we're going to get some expert tips from Blair to gauge financial health when it comes to debt. We know that most people seem to be carrying some debt, but just how do you know if you've got a problem? So Blair's gonna share some common warning signs about personal debt levels, as well as give us some tips on how to gauge our financial health when it comes to debt. So Blair, I know that you and your team at Sands & Associates every day help people assess their debt situation, as well as solutions to better management, to better manage it rather. In your opinion, is there a reasonable amount of personal debt to carry or what determines that for folks? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, you know, there's really no magic number when it comes to understanding how much debt is too much. You know, for some people, they really feel it's just stressed out. They know they've got a big problem when they hit $20,000 in debt. For other people, $5,000 in debt is just an insurmountable burden that they just really need help to address. Um, other folks, sometimes it's at $100,000 of debt when they really feel uh, like their situation becomes unmanageable. So it really does matter what are all the circumstances um, around the, the situation. Um, the eligibility to get help with your debt, the bar is actually quite low in Canada. So you just have to owe a minimum of $1,000 to be able to even declare bankruptcy on your debts. Now, no one files bankruptcy for just $1,000 of debt. Uh, but in some cases, people with, you know, five, seven, ten thousand $10,000 of debt, they're really happy to know that even so-called small debt problems can still get the full benefit of consumer legislation in Canada that's there to protect individuals. So what I encourage people to do is not just to rely on your on paper finances, but also to think about, well, how well are you coping with managing your debt? And are you making clear progress to actually paying your debts off? Because a large debt problem that's getting paid down over time is totally different than, say, a small debt that every month you're just treading water, just paying interest on it. So from my experience, there's a few signs that people can, um, you know, take stock of. And if you're ringing um, the bell of recognition on more than a couple of these, it might be an indication that, yeah, your debt might be the getting to the point where it is problematic. So the first one, the most important one, is are you often or always feeling stressed or worried about your debt? So we often say it on the show, and I believe it's true, that if you think you have a debt problem, you're probably right. So just feeling that anxiety, they're not being able to get on top of things, that's a big indicator. Uh, If you're only making minimum monthly payments on your credit card debt, that is not getting you out of debt. That is keeping you in debt for decades. So just keeping up on only the minimums and feeling even stretched to do that, that's another big warning sign. 
Uh, if you're regularly relying on credit to meet your costs of living, uh, or every month you're taking on more debt, the balances just go up. Of course, that's a risk factor. Uh, when you look towards your government obligations, if it's been years since you filed your taxes, um, or you owe the government some money, Canada Revenue Agency, and you're just you know waiting with bated breath, and what are they going to be to be doing? What are they going to do to try to collect? You know, that's a big warning sign. And then finally, a very typical one is: Are you getting collection calls? Are they starting to seize your wages, or even trying to take you to court? You know, debt can really snowball over time, and sometimes people just get used to adapting and you know just getting through to the next month, um, and it can start to feel really normal being in a situation that's completely abnormal, where you're really a slave to your creditors at that point. Excellent. Um, and if you already know that you're in a situation that you could use some assistance and a real sit down with someone from Sands and Associates to figure out your situation, 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Sands-trustee.com is the website where you can also make that uh, appointment. And of course, offices all over British Columbia. So let's let's decide then we're, we're going to have a sit down. We're going to I'm going to take a look at all at my situation. What are some of the potential considerations for that personal financial check in that we're going to make? Yeah, well, the same as as you would do a check in on your car, your home, or even, you know, go to the doctor as regularly as you can for a, a regular checkup, you want to do that same thing with your finances. So a couple of key things to do is to sort through your paperwork, uh, make sure you're filing or even shredding any bills and statements that you don't need to have close at hand. Uh, we recommend that you check your credit history report to stay ahead of errors, inaccuracies, or even fraud. You can do that for free once a year, uh, but don't be misguided in thinking that, hey, just because everything shows that I'm paying up to date, my credit score looks okay, that means that I don't have a debt problem because sometimes the people with the best credit ratings actually have high amounts of debt. They have no savings, no assets, and it's just a matter of time uh, until that credit rating has to take a hit when they're not able to pay their debts back in full. But you do want to make sure at least that your credit report is accurate. You want to make sure that you've set some financial goals and started to track your progress. Uh, the best financial goal for safety and then also for a sense of pride too is to have some savings. So we've spoken before about how important an emergency fund can be, uh, but are you saving for your retirement funds? Are you saving for irregular expenses, the things you know are going to come up once a year, maybe you know car maintenance or something that, that's going to happen that you need to have money put aside for, uh, or even a vacation? Uh, one other check-in that you can do, and this is a, a bit of a blunt instrument, but I like it, um, is to say, okay, here's a bit of a test on whether you think you have a debt problem. We call it the rule of 60 math. And it's a very simple calculation where you just take all of the debt that you have, excluding a mortgage or a car loan. Those are secured debts and they're a little bit different. But all the debt that you have, maybe credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, everything like that, and divide that number by 60. So if you had $30,000 of debt, you divided that by 60, you'd get $500. And I want you to do a little bit of a, of a gut check there. Is that a monthly payment that you could handle to get out of debt? Um, because if it's the case that there's no way, you know, you're not paying $500 per month and you could never pay that, well, then you definitely need the help of a professional because even consolidating your debt and putting it all together, you're not going to be able to afford that payment if you can't handle the rule of 60 math. So that's when someone should definitely come to see a trustee is if they look at their total debt and figure out even if they paid it off in 60 equal payments with no interest, they wouldn't be able to afford that amount. That's when they can certainly get a better outcome from working directly with a trustee. 
Okay, so it's come become pretty clear that I do have a debt problem. Um, what what are my next steps at this point? What else What else should I do? What can you help me do at this point? Well, the best thing to do is to talk with a licensed insolvency trustee as soon as possible. Nobody connects with us too early. So many people connect with us after years, months of suffering, and anything we can do to shortcut that is great. Um, don't ignore the problem. Debt problems don't get better. They only get worse by definition as the charges continue to accumulate. But also don't assume that you don't qualify for help. There's a lot of people that eventually come to us and say, well, I thought about this years ago, but I thought there's no way I could do a proposal. Or, you know, if I did a bankruptcy, I'm sure this would be the consequence. And you no, know, actually, the consequence was quite different than what they had assumed. So it's an LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee's job to explain to you all of the options that you have to deal with your debt, and then to work with you to execute on those options if you choose to do so. You also need to be very cautious about where you consider getting debt advice from. So if you're not dealing directly with a licensed insolvency trustee, you are at risk. So people like debt consultants, even credit counselors, um, there are varying degrees of honesty, of competence, uh, but there's no gray area in that anybody that is not a licensed insolvency trustee can't help you restructure your debts legally. All that they can do is informal negotiations with creditors, and oftentimes you end up paying some pretty significant costs um, and getting a worse outcome than if you had worked directly with a trustee. Uh, when you sit down with a trustee, we're not going to jump right to the solution that we think works best. We're going to understand your situation, understand what are your goals, what are your objectives, how much can you afford to repay, what's your timelines like of when you'd like to be out of debt, and what are all the personal and financial situations about your situation or personal and financial characteristics about your situation. Are there kids at home? Are both parents working? Um, is somebody ill? Are there big expenses coming up? Um, all of those things will be taken into account when you sit down and work with a licensed insolvency trustee. And it's, and it's pretty easy to do. Um, Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. The phone number, it's a 1-800 number. You can call and set up an appointment to sit down with someone, regardless of where you are in BC, in order to do that. 1-800-661-3030. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.